All right, let's pray. Lord God in heaven, thank you for watching over us through this past week. We pray that you would continue to sustain and strengthen us. We ask you, Lord, to be with Yvonne and help her to continue to heal up from her surgery. Thank you that it was, uh, has been such a success, and we pray for the pain, that uh, the pain would be moderated and be under control, and that she would be back up on her feet before she knows it, and be, feel better and gain strength. We pray that you would bless us in our study this morning, especially as we look at Marcion, and as we think, and as we talk, and as we work our way through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I guess Phil is still on a trip. That's right. Phil probably won't be back until sometime this week. Yeah, that's right. All right, so we're in our class, the heresy zone. Do, 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 do. Let me see here. Do I have this on? Here we go. And so, yes, somewhere between light and shadow, the pit of men's fears and summit of his knowledge, this is the dimension of imagination. It's also an area we call the heresy zone. That's us. We're in the heresy zone. What's that? No, that's the part of the slide presentation. Yeah. So again, the aims of the heresy, of our of our series, the aims of uh, the heresy zone, become familiar with the aspects of our early history, um, understand several of the major heretical movements and moments for the first five centuries. It won't be exhaustive, though. You might be exhausted by the time we get done. It won't be exhaustive, but we will get a lot of them. But then at the same time, reflect on our own day and our own place in history as we think about heresies so that we can be equipped to explain to others what we believe and why it is important. And ultimately, so that we're able to be aware, be stable, and grow. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and and to the day of eternity. Amen. So those are our aims. And so for today, and this is the, uh, the series, we're, so th- these are what we're going to cover. So we've already covered what is heresy and how to think about it. Uh, last time we were together, we did the Ebionites. Today we're going to do Marcion. We'll do Docetism, Gnosticism, Montanism, Arianism, Modalism, Manicheanism, Donatists and Nestorianism and Pelagianism. And so uh, hopefully by what you're going to start noticing, if you, if you pay attention, you're going to start noticing that a lot of these have lots of interrelations. Some of their specific peculiarities begin to show up in other different aberrations. And so keep your eyes and ears open on that. So our format's going to be fa- fairly basic all the way through. We're going to start with delineations, and then we're going to define Marcion's peculiarities. We're going to discuss modern Marcionite expressions and depict biblical responses. And here I really, really want a lot of interaction. I want us to think out loud, where, for example, where we see these Marcionite expressions today. Um, and then how, when we get to the last one, how do we respond to those things? And so... It's intended for us to be engaged with that. That'll be very helpful um, for all of us. So you guys ready? Everybody awake? Awesome. So as I've already said before, most of the time the leaders of the various heresies were trying to answer our Lord's question, who do you say that I am? 
in almost every case, they answered from within the comfortable framework of their own heads, their upbringing, and their perspective. That's probably the best way to put that. When you start reading some of them and, find, and see how they're dealing with it, you realize they're very much uh, ch- children of their age, which is instructive for us to stop and go, you know, how much of our explanations are just simply coming from our own heads, our own framework, and then being able to rethink some of that. Also, their answer to this central question, who do you say that I am, their answer to this central question shaped how they viewed many other topics such as creation, the physical, God, scripture, salvation, and so forth. And so trying to answer this question impacted how they answered these questions. So this is the book I've been recommending, uh, Alistair McGrath's book, Heresy, A History of Defending the Truth. It's an easy to read book, and I like his style. I think that uh, you will find him very beneficial. So I just put a copy of the picture on there. But his observation on page 126 that Jesus is the focal point from which all other stories are to be seen and on which all finally and decisively converge, I think is the right way to see it. And then that, as you're dealing with heresy, you realize that everything ends up running to what they say about Jesus. You may, you may trip over other things they say that sound odd, but if you push them to talk about Jesus, that's when it will become very clear that they've got that wrong, which causes all this other to be different. You gonna say something? I actually think that's probably correct with most of them. No. The question. So the question to always ask ourselves when we're giving an answer is, am I answering biblically or am I answering from within my framework, right? And both of them are going to be rash, rational, right? There's going to be a lot of logic involved and so forth. You get this wrong and then reasonably you will get all these other things off, right? Does that make sense? Glenn, were you going to say something? No? Okay. So I, like, I, like, I love the way that McGrath puts it there. I think that's exactly right. And that's what I would say is that other things may surprise you. You may run across somebody who says, oh, uh, I don't know, let's see, um, stealing is, is okay. Well, before you get trapped in the stealing is okay, you might want to start asking more and more questions that move them to what do they think about Jesus because that's probably where you will find they've really missed the mark. Does that make sense? So I think that the graph statement is exactly right. All right. Anybody on any of this before we move on? And so a simple way to put it, I got a spider web up there because I see spiders everywhere now because it's springtime, right? So, but a simple observation, there's a spider web of connections between what is said about Jesus and a host of other subjects. I think that's an easy way to put it. And it's true about, really about almost every doctrine, every doctrinal statement you make, there's a spider web of connections. So here's my joke one time. I was at a Baptist college getting my bachelor's degree, and all my classmates said they were one-point Calvinists. I said, well, you can't have that point because you need at least three of the other ones. 
what? What? And they couldn't understand, and I had to walk them through. I said, you, so you're really a Calvinist. You just don't know you are, you know, because I mean, you can't have that one without these others, you know. So, but they're all, but, but especially here, as we're talking about this, there is this spider web of connections, and what they say about Jesus is the big thing, and that's where, uh, when you get there, that's when you'll see all the, begin to see a lot of the other connections. So, you ready to move on? Okay. Here we go. Let me tell you a little story about Marcion, just his background. Marcion was an early second century uh, a businessman. He was actually a very successful and wealthy uh, ship owner in the, on the Black Sea. By the way, these maps are going to start becoming horribly more familiar as you watch the news about Ukraine. Ukraine's back up in here somewhere in Russia. And so, um, and so he's over here. This is modern-day Turkey. This is uh, the, um, uh, the Ararat mountain range, and the Kurds are back over here. So he's back right in here somewhere. Here's the Black Sea. This is where he's from. He was a wealthy businessman, a ship owner on the Black Sea. He went to Rome. He was, uh, his dad, uh, the story goes that his dad was actually a bishop. And so he grew up in the church or around the church. And so he moves to Rome and was very active in the church there. He donated a large sum of money uh, to the church there in Rome. And so he was over there where that red star is, and he moved over here to Rome. There's the boot. Always look for the boot if you want to know where Rome is. There's the boot, right? Hey! Yeah, right. So that's where he went, okay? So after a period of time, Marcion sought to influence the church at Rome with his peculiarities. Here's what Louis Burkhoff, and Louis Burkhoff, by the way, is the standard... Um, systematic theology in uh, reformed in reformed circles and our seminaries and all that stuff. Lewis was uh, staunch reform. So I find it really interesting some of the things he says here. doesn't go against his position. It's just interesting the way he puts it. Uh, so I'm going to quote this from Lewis Burkhoff's book, The History of Christian Doctrines. After a period of time, Marcion sought to influence the church in Rome with his peculiarities. Quote, he did not endeavor to found schools of philosophers but to reform in accordance with the true Pauline gospel, at least in his mind, what was the true Pauline gospel, the churches whose Christianity he believed to be legalistic, Judaistic, and who he thought uh, denied free grace. I just thought that's an interesting statement. We'll talk about his peculiarities in a minute, but it's helpful to have that in our heads, that he saw himself as a reformer. He was wanting to reform the church, he felt it had bought off on too much Judaism and too much legalism. So he's going to bring in the gospel according to Paul. Oh, free grace, right? Really interesting. Right, yes. So far he sounds good to some extent. Yes, so keep that in mind. Yes. No, no, there's no Roman Catholic church. Not until about the 5th century or so. This is the church at Rome. 2nd century. There's no pope. There's maybe a bishop over the one church, but there's no pope. Yeah, so that will be later. Yep, good. I'm glad you brought it up, though, because somebody else was probably thinking the exact same thing. Okay? So keep that in mind. Um, and then McGrath says in his book, Heresies, uh, irritated that the Roman church refused to accept his views. 
Marcion left the church, which promptly returned his generous gift he had made earlier. God bless him. Right? I mean, he gave this huge donation, and they were like, you left with these peculiarities, here's your money back. There's some integrity there. I really appreciated that. Marcion came to view, came to the view that the Roman church, that's the church at Rome, not the Roman Catholic Church, but the church at Rome was not properly Christian and left to found his own pure sect. Marcion excluded himself from the church. It was after his excluding himself from the church, the church sent uh, the, the decree that he had been he separated himself, he was excommunicated. So the church didn't run him out, per se. He ran himself out, which I find is pretty normal usually. Not always, but pretty normal usually. And so I find this uh, interesting the way McGrath puts this. I really appreciate his point. And so, going back to Burkhoff, Marcion is represented as a man of deep earnestness and marked ability who labored in the spirit of a reformer, He first made the attempt to bring the church to his way of thinking, and when he did not succeed in his work of reform, felt constrained to organize his followers into a separate church and to seek universal acceptance of his views by active propagation. So before we go any further, what's one of the things you quickly notice about Marcion? I don't know if you can read that, but I'll read it to you. Okay, sorry, I, I need to know that because I've put the background on there. Uh, what is one of the things that you quickly notice? It's something that goes along with the root of the Greek word from which we get heresy, hierasis. What's one of the first things you notice about Marcion? He's a separatist. I can't get it my way, I'll go start the pure church. I thought that was interesting that McGrath used that language, right? And Burkhoff is talking about the same thing. He went off and organized his followers into a separate church. And almost always, when it's a separate church, it's the righter church. It's the purer church. That's exactly how they always promote it. Okay? When we get to the subject of what his peculiarities were, you will see. But Martin Luther didn't separate himself. Not, maybe not initially, but then when he didn't get his way, he did. Luther wanted, to, Luther wanted to stay. He did not see himself as starting a new church. He saw himself as just simply reforming the church. Yeah, yeah, because they kicked him out. Yeah, That's part of it, yeah, yeah. And the subject matter. That sounds almost like an Air Force promotion test. I remember taking those tests. It was like four, it was a multiple choice. There were four answers. One was clearly wrong. The other three were right, but one was the writer. And your promotion was based on, which if you could figure that out. Oh my goodness. That was crazy. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a good analogy or good analysis. Very good. So, I mean, and you'll notice this all across the board. There's going to be, there's always this, almost always this movement to separate because we're righter than those people. Okay? When we get to the Gnostics, ha ha, I'll make hay out of that. Okay. 
So let's talk about his peculiarities. So anything before we move on, anything else? So Marcion's peculiarities, okay? And I'm just drawing from a book, and I'll tell you who it is. It's uh, uh, Fitz, Fitzsimmons, Allison, Fitzsimmons, Fitzsimmons Allison, who was a bishop in the Episcopal Church. He's watching stuff going on. He was very conservative. He's watching what was happening in the Episcopal Church in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And so he wrote a book called The Cruelty of Heresy. And uh, I find that very helpful, his, his observations from within that context. But here he's talking about Marcion. So he, I'm quoting him. His views, which were condemned, were the God of the Old Testament, the lawgiver demanding righteousness, was evil. The God of the New Testament is a different God, one who is good and merciful. Hold that thought, because we're going to come back to how does this show up. Because I have stories. Ah, oh, now watch it, David. Okay. Here's the second one, moving right along. The Creator is evil. If this is true, then this. So the Creator is evil. Um, yeah, so that would also, by the way, that would affect his view of creation, that creation itself began bad. Contrary to Scripture, all was good, all was very good, right? That, that creation was bad. Number three, Christ was divine. He only appeared to be human. In fact, I think he writes, uh, he's recorded his writing that Jesus just appeared. Okay? He just popped into human existence. Boop! He was there. Number four, the Old Testament, and based on this, you'd have no surprise, the Old Testament was rejected and only... Only Paul's epistles and portions of Luke's gospel were accepted. And so the portions of Luke's gospel that were accepted was anything that had nothing to do with the Old Testament. He cut out the Old Testament out of uh, Luke. Well, that makes sense because of what he thinks here. But that also means then he did something to Paul's letters. Some statements in Paul's epistles with reference, which referred, excuse me, which referred positively to the Old Testament or to the goodness of the law, were suppressed. Can you think of a, a chapter in Romans that he might have to cut out? Oh yeah, I would say, yep, that's good. Romans 1, what else? There's one more chapter. Because Paul says like three times, the commandment is good. The law is good. The problem is that sin launched off, you know, used the law to launch into me and, and brought covetousness to... Yes, Romans 7. He would have cut out most of Romans 7. And then lastly, grace is the opposite of law. Love is the opposite of justice. God and good people are unable to punish. Fitzsimmons, Allison, his book, The Cruelty of Heresy. And there's the book. Yes. Yeah, that's a great observation. So, um, um, the, canon, the canon of Scripture, the New Testament, the lines are hardening at this point, okay? And so, uh, he just chose to do... No, no, those, aren't, those don't belong in the Bible. 
I mean, it's just like the guy I knew when I was in Turkey. Not long after I was converted. He read the Old Testament and he was convinced that Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon should not be in Scripture. He took a knife and cut them out of his Bible. Yes. But if you start out with what I showed you, that the Creator is bad, right? So he's coming from an assumption and then going back to Scripture with this assumption, right? So it's probably, probably something close to anti-Semitism of some kind, which would have been very popular in the day. Remember, Rome hates Jews, right? I mean, it is, isn't it? It is, exactly, yes. Uh, well, so uh, he is a, he's very much about grace. If you go back to here. I'm telling you, I'm, he's telling you what he held to. And so he would, have, he would say, oh, you don't need law. All that has to be is grace, God's grace. Yeah, yeah. But he was not a universalist. Because if you didn't belong to his church, you were toast. I mean, there, so the thing about it, there, there's, there's, there are inconsistencies, right? We're all inconsistent. I, always, I Sometimes I call our inconsistencies blessed inconsistencies, right? But there are inconsistencies, and when you push, then it becomes clear. So this Francis Schaeffer, one of Francis Schaeffer's, uh, if you ever get a chance to read some of his books, you realize, and he'll tell you what he does, he asks questions until finally the person who's answering it finally realizes that, that their house is firmly planted in midair, as he would say, right? Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I want to follow this rational thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. It doesn't jive. But if you start out with one of these premises up here, it impacts everything else and then the other way around, right? So, for example, I'll give you an example. Number three. What would happen if he ended up with number three correct? What would happen if he was right about number three? I mean, he got number three right, that Christ was fully human and fully divine. How might that have actually impacted some of these others? Right. And Jesus is the son of David, according to the flesh, declared to be the son of God, which we want to look at this passage in a minute. It would have it potentially would have corrected some of these other aberrations. But because he gets those wrong and he comes to Jesus and he continues to get this wrong, it keeps those wrong. Yeah. Okay, so this is the book, The Cruelty of Heresy. Um, it's a great book to get if you ever want another book to read on your shelf. I'm telling you because Phil's not here because I don't want him to buy any more books. He's got too many books in his house. But this is a great book. It's nice to have around and very handy. And knowing that he's writing this from within his own particular denomination, liberal denominational context, and he sees this stuff in his denomination. So he had, he's very, he, this is fairly personal to him and his situation. So, um, but he's a very gracious fellow. You could probably even find him online and listen to him. He's got a very gentlemanly southern accent. I always imagine Robert E. Lee must have sounded just like him, so... Yes, 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 right.
Yes. Yeah, when it comes to money and property. No, no grace, all law. So, um, Tertullian, who was an early church father in the 3rd century, he was talking about Marcion, because the Marcionites still are lingering around by his point. He said, quote, Marcion used the knife. He's talking about how he read scripture. Marcion used the knife, not the pen, in that he abbreviated the scriptures to suit his teaching. And I think that's really instructive because you think about, you know, what's the value of having a church where you actually deal with all the scriptures through sermons and Sunday school classes and so forth, where you're dealing with all of them. How does that change then, you know, your perspective versus someone who just cherry picks and that's all they ever do all the time, every day, for years and years and years. Right? It changes how you begin to see and perceive things. So I thought that was a great observation. Yes, Peter talking about Paul. Yes. Yes. Right. No, in fact, he even puts it in the same category. We'll talk about this this morning during the sermon, but he says... They twist Paul's writings and the rest of Scripture. So putting Paul's writings right in there with Scripture is a really good statement. So, yeah. Yes. Yes. Paul, Peter did not take the knife to remove Paul. Very good. Um, referring to the way that Marcion excised, edited out the Old Testament out of the Christian Scriptures, McGrath notes, quote, For Marcion, the gospel comes from nowhere without any historical context. You take out the Old Testament, then the Jesus of the New Testament is whatever you want to make him out to be. It's one reason, well, I, I carry around a New Testament with Psalms and Proverbs when I go to hospitals and stuff, but that's not my main deal. I like to have a whole Bible, right? Because, and I remember one time a bookstore was trying to send uh, Bibles to, I don't remember what country it was, right? It was. Uh, it would have been in the late 80s, so Gorbachev was finally being kind of friendly with us, and we were starting to have some open doors in Russia or someplace, and this Bible uh, foundation was trying to send just New Testaments in Russian into Russia. And I had a problem with that, and I couldn't figure out why, and then finally it dawned on me, well, you can't have the New Testament without the Old Testament. Why not the whole Bible? You know? Anyways, just one of those little things. Okay. So we're going to do an experiment. Any questions before we launch into our lab? Any observations? Okay. So I want you to take Marcion's approach and I want you to apply it to the passage I'm going to put up here in just a second and ask two questions. What would you have to cut out of this passage and how does, this, how does that changed passage change your message about Jesus? Okay. Romans chapter 1, I got a knife over there, not because I'm mean, but we're going to use the knife to cut this out, okay? So Romans chapter 1, 1 through 7, okay, keeping Marcion's perspective in mind. Let me read it to you, and you be thinking, what would you have to cut out, and how would that change your perspective about Jesus? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures... Concerning his son, hold your thought, 
concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so there's the passage. Can everybody see it? All right, so just start working out from line one. What would you have to cut out with line one? Anything? Line one right here. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Huh? Oh, no, that might be all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the sweet God that Jesus talks about, yes. This word right here. What is that? Messiah. Where does that come from? The Old Testament. Scratchily! All right, second line, into the third line, into the fourth line, down to the fifth line. Anything in there? Oh, yes. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So right there, in the Holy Scriptures. That's the Hebrew Old Testament. Right? The prophets of the Old Testament. The gospel he promised there. No, I can't have that. Concerning his son, who was descended, whoops, who was descended... From David. Now we're back in the Old Testament again. Oh no! According to the flesh. Well, wait, he just popped out of nowhere. He was truly divine, but he just appeared to be human. Boop! Boom! All right. How about the next part? Anything in the next line? He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Anything in there? Christ. Oh, well. Yes. That would be, that's a possibility too, yes. Anything else and then through whom we've received a grace and apostleship? Um, huh? Obedience, probably obedience. I didn't put the mark in there, but probably obedience, unless he twisted the phrase, obedience of faith only means something about just believing or something only or something like that, right? Uh, down here, take out again Christ. And then as we get towards the end, one last time, the last word. So how does, that, uh, how does that change this passage and how does it change your perspective then on who Jesus is? A gospel that comes out of nowhere and has nothing, no context. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Any other observations there? Was that helpful? He would have hated the rest of the chapter. And other, I don't know how he could have. Yeah, I don't know how he twi- how he would have done all of that. Yes.
And that's what Alan was talking about earlier. He's very proud. There was a lot of pride. He may have been a, personally, he may have appeared to be a humble man, I don't know. But that is definitely evidence of pride to sit over Scripture and actually judge Scripture. I mean, this sounds really 21st century to judge Scripture, right? And what you won't have and what you will have. It's just like the Bible study that happened in Midland. We had somebody in our church was going to it. I won't tell you which particular Bible study it was. It was one of those big international Bible studies. And they're doing John 6. And Jesus talks about in John 6, um, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him and so forth. And the person who was leading the Bible study told one of our church members, my Jesus would have never said that. And he wasn't a member of our church. I mean, but the... Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. It is the old lie. And I bet you Marcy would have, because he threw that out, he would have said no one. You know. So yeah, so hopefully that helps out. Yes, David. Oh, yeah. Right, right. That's part of it too. Yeah. So, see, notice the spider web, right? You think this, you think this, it comes out here. This is also part of it, right? So, it's kind of the spider web. Yeah. Yeah. So, good. Okay. So, here's the biggie. Where have you heard similar thoughts, Tony? Oh, that was easy. Can you give me an example? Pretty modern today. Anybody ever had somebody tell them that, uh, oh, that was in the Old Testament. I don't need to listen to that. Boom! We're a New Testament church. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's allegory, yeah, or, or, or worse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about Joe Smith when I get to Gnosticism. Sure. Yeah. I had, there was a church, I remember a church in Key West, Florida. A charismatic church. I'm not saying all charismatics are this way, but this particular church actually went the distance and they wrote the prophecies they had down in a book and they said these are divinely inspired and they were additions to scripture. I was blown away. Yes. Right. Right. 
Hold that thought. Sure. Right, right, right. Or, or that was 2,000 years ago. Or, yeah, yeah, very good. Uh, so to answer Randy's statement, I think that's a great observation. And it is a question to ask, um, who's right in that situation? So, I mean, Rome's, so for example, Roman Eastern Orthodoxy, there's a historical reason why they've allowed those deuterocanonical and apocryphal books in. So it's not something foreign. I mean, I understand why they did that. And so it's not them just coming up and creating their own system. So that's different. Uh, the other side is, you talk about dispensationalism, it depends on the dispensationalists. Most often, I would say, that most dispensationalists try to keep it together, right? So that it all fits in. You need this to get this. So that's a good thing. But I have run across a group of hyper-dispensationalists. I won't mention their names. They're not here. I hope they're not here in Oklahoma City. But they specifically said... Um, the Old Testament doesn't apply. Matthew, Mark, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't apply to us Gentiles. Acts does not apply to us Gentiles except after Paul's conversion. And then the New Testament, the only thing that applies to us is only Paul's letters. Hebrews is out. And then James, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude. Those are out because those were written for Jews. And then only Revelation after that. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. But there was no taking a physical knife like Marcion did. It was a systematic knife or schematic knife, which was really interesting. And, and um, so I've run across that. That's the aberrant form to answer that. So I would say one of the things to look at, so think about Marcion's movement is to pull away because you didn't accept my views, so I'm going to go start the pure church. I think that's a good indication that there might be a problem. <laughs> right? And so the other thing is, how deep does this go? How long back does this go? So I'll give an example. Like, so where we're at as a denomination, ours, we can trace all of our, these theological points back to the Westminster Confession of Faith, but we can go even further back, all the way back, and all the time keep referencing Scripture, even the parts we don't always find very comfortable. I mean, it's a good place to be. I don't know if that answers your question. It's a great question. Anybody else? Oh, yes. I had a guy I would go see uh, when I was preaching at a black church. He was a black guy. And he says, Pastor, the only thing I read is just the red letter part. Because then the words of Jesus. And I didn't know how to answer that at that point. I was 23 or 24. And so, but yeah, I've run across that. Finally, now I've come to the point to say, no, no. It's just their favorite red letter. Yes. And that's something to keep in mind, by the way. When, we, when you run across churches that talk about sola scriptura, scripture alone, you need to push that button a little bit to find out what they mean. Because very often, this has been my experience, very often what they mean is our favorite parts of the Bible alone as I have, as I have interpreted them alone. And you'll know that when they start taking a soapbox and standing on one passage and they make it the be-all, the end-all. Anybody ever experienced that? I see somebody smiling. Yeah, that's a good example of where sola scriptura has been butchered to mean something that none of the reformers ever thought sola scriptura should mean. Yes? 
Yeah, yeah. They practice, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So John's talking about some churches don't put out, or some organizations don't put out specifically Marcion statements, but that's what they practice. And so you see it, I mean, as you, they're longer, what are some things to look for then that would be helpful red flags? And, and I think just, just a simple one would be, a very easy one would be, how do you handle the Old Testament? That would be, be one. Yeah, I mean, I think about a guy right now in Atlanta, Georgia, who said that the Ten Commandments do not apply to any Christians, and I'm not going to preach the Ten Commandments anymore. He's a big name, mega church pastor. You know, there's an example. Ted Turner. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great example. Yeah, yeah. The Hebrew, the Seventh Day Adventists, and others who almost overemphasize the other direction. Alan. Yes. Right, 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 right. Yeah, but John was talking about actually some of them having statements, but it doesn't, it's not clear. I mean, it doesn't come out and say those things. I think there's ways in the doctrinal statements, we don't want to get lost here, where you can kind of tease that out. You can sense it by what they don't mention. You know, usually what people refuse to mention is pretty indicative of something, you know. Oh, yeah. That's right. 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 Or when he said to the apostles, those who receive you receive me. Right? Oh, that means the whole New Testament's red letter. Oh, my goodness. You know, so, yeah. Right. Very good. Okay, yes. 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 This is why I, I mean, and I'll just be honest, this is why I love covet, our covenantalism because of how deeply it pulls out and evidences the connection of the Old Testament and the New Testament and how they relate together and, and the, the, just the deep value of it plus the fact that then being reminded that the Old Testament is our story. Right? There's just all kinds of things that I love about that. So, so getting to the answers then, how would we answer, describe and explain the biblical Christology as well as other things that would answer Marcion and the Marcionites? Um, oops, I didn't want to do that. So we've already started doing some of this, you know, talking about expositional preaching. We've talked about some other things. What would be some other ways to answer Marcion? Okay. Ah, all right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right there, you're already off the mark for him. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Just bring in the Old Testament. 
That's right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The other side would be Jesus' humanity, emphasizing emphatically his humanity in this situation, specifically, right? There's other things we could answer there. Uh, I love what T, I'm reading this book. I actually just finished it last night. IVP, University Press, asked me to review it. And so I really enjoyed it. But this was a line in uh, T. Desmond Alexander's Face to Face with God. Quote, all the New Testament writers. So I love that statement already. All the New Testament writers are convinced that Jesus is the Christ, Messiah, anointed one, and as such, is the son of David. Just that statement gives you the start. If you're dealing with a Marcionite, you start, probably need to start there. This is the Messiah, the son of David. Now, what does that mean? Why is that important? If he was not the son of David, could he have been our Savior? No. Because all the promises in the Old Testament, right? So already we're moving against Marcionitism as soon as we do that, right? I think that's a great statement and a great summarization of where we need to go. Um, so where else in the New Testament... Where else are the New Testament authors convinced, excuse me, what else are the New Testament authors convinced of regarding Jesus, regarding the Old Testament, regarding the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and regarding creation? We've already started answering some of that. But what else, and I've tried to emphasize this as we go along through the New Testament. Here's one that should be an easy one. What is one of the emphasis in the New Testament about the Old Testament? Yes. Yes, okay. Yes. 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 Yeah, Jesus' I am statement is drawing right from Exodus 3, 14. So, right, 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 right. So keep in mind what you hear me say often... The Old Testament is God's word for God's people in every age. I don't say that because it's cool and sexy. I'm saying that because it's anti-Marcionitism. It is cute. Thanks, John. It's just me. <laughs> what are you going to say, Bob? Yes. Right. Right, he's talking about the Old Testament because in the context he tells Timothy, young Timothy, he says, remember what you've learned and firmly believe that from, sac- from, the, from the sacred scriptures, the Old Testament, when you were a young kid, when the no New Testament document was yet written, you, you've known the sacred scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He already pulls together all that there. So that's a good point. So that's 2 Timothy 3. So it's just, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's why I keep saying that. The Old Testament is God's word for God's people in every age. The apostles never apologized for using the Old Testament. They quote it as God's authoritative word. Hold on a second. Go ahead. Sure. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. Sure. But you can have a remedy. So your mom asks you, she could say, you know, I'm starting to have problems. My mom had this conversation. She goes to one of those churches. She had this conversation with me. I said, Mom, first off, you could do worse. So you're okay. Number two, you know, here's our little secret. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. It's all God's word. Okay, son, that's great. And that was it. There was this. I mean, it was obvious that, you know, my mom has this faith. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. Sure. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Right, right. We talked about that the other day. Pam brought that up. We, we're always dependent upon the Spirit doing that, right? So, but going through Marcion, for us to see it, and then, um, so it gives us help when somebody talks to us. We know what we're listening to. Hey, have you ever read this book? This guy is really awesome. Oh, really? Oh, he doesn't like the Old Testament. Bing, you already know where this is going, Right? So then you know what to look for. And the reason why you would do that or find it helpful is not to go beat people up, but actually to look at it and go, you know, you know for discernment purposes, right? For discernment purposes, you know. And then if they want to talk to you about it, then you can actually say, you know, this was good, this was good, but here's where I have some concerns. Can I just show you? Yeah. No, 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 no. Oh, wow, I never even thought about that. God uses us as instruments to bring those things about while he's quickening their hearts. So if we know then we're able to give an answer graciously, but to give an answer. So, yeah. Good. Anybody else? Yes. Yes. Well, if you were to take Luke, which he liked, and go back through it and look and say, oh, well, he's got to take out the first chapter because that talks about Zechariah and Elizabeth and the temple. Oh, oh, that's out. Oh, and then the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, this child's going to be the Holy One, the son of David. Oh, that's out. So he didn't believe in the virgin birth. He disappeared, right? So you start cutting Luke down. You've got the pocket-sized, condensed, redacted version of Luke. I mean, it was really weird. And so... But all that's instructive for us to stop and go, you know, do, it's always a good question to ask, by the way. Do I do this? If you never ask that question, you need to. Right? Do I do this? Do we do this? And then actually look and, and be honest because it's very helpful. That's why I love going through these things because it's a great help to make sure we're not doing those things. When you ask the question. The person that's a problem that gets close to Marcion is the one who says, who never has that question, who thinks they are right and never wrong. Now we're moving to Marcion's level, right? Anyways, good. Okay, so that's Marcion. You may have more questions. Go look it up yourself. Okay, so next, next week we're going to look at docetism. And you'll find out when we do docetism that there's a relationship between Marcion and the docetists, okay? 
Uh, and we'll get into some of that stuff as well. So go look it up, go examine it, but also remember, ask yourself the question, where do I see this? Do I see any of this today? And if so, where do I see this? Okay, because well, we're going to discuss it. I want you to bring it up where you see this or where you've heard it and things like that. I don't, not to shame anybody else, just for us to know this is all very contemporary. Okay? All right. Oh. Rod Serling, did you see that jet? Did you see that origami jet he just took off? Oh. All right, let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you that you did send your son, that you are, first off, that you are the good God, and that you created all things good, and you created all things very good. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, who became fully human, who is fully God at the same time. And for that for us and for our salvation, according to all your promises laid out, uh, uh, in the prophets of the Hebrew Scriptures and brought to bear in His death and resurrection and ascension. Lord, we pray that You would help us to be gracious when we're dealing with those who hold different aberrant positions, Lord, and uh, that we might be instrumental uh, by Your grace to draw them away from those things to embrace You more fully as You really are. We ask you to bless us now as we gather into the the assembly. We pray for your Holy Spirit to fill us. We pray, Lord, that you would draw us close to you and lift our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.